Good morning, everybody. I want to thank Barb and all the teachers uh, who had put that together and all the parents who helped to put that together this morning for the breakfast and for the uh, kids uh, moving on to their next class. And so they always do a wonderful job each year that they do that. And so I look forward to, uh, you know, teaching the younger the junior high and the high, uh, high school kids here this uh, next quarter. And so it'll be something new for me. I've done teen classes, but I never uh, taught the junior high. So it'll be a little bit of a learning curve for me, but I look forward to it. This morning, if you look on the screen behind me, we're going to have uh, the day of the Lord is at hand. We're going to look at the prophet Joel here this morning. If you guys remember last week, we started to get into the divided kingdom. And as we were getting into the uh, united slash divided kingdom, we looked at uh, the three kings of the united kingdom. And then what happened towards the end of the reign, the end of the reign of King Solomon. We looked at those first kings and now we talked about that civil war that kind of broke out. And the reason why we looked at all that information, for those of you who weren't here, is because you need to understand the environment that these prophets were sent into to understand their message. And why most of them had a message of what? Most of them had a message of repentance. And they had a message of repentance. Why? Because they were sent because God's people had gone astray. They were involved in just uh, uh, unbearable godly rebellion. And so they rebelled against the holy and righteous God. And if you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we know that they had already, the Israelites, had already entered into what? A covenant. A covenant is a contract, right? They entered into that covenant relationship with God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you guys have heard of that chapter, haven't you? The, the chapter of blessings and cursings. You read the first half of that chapter, it says, If you stay loyal to me, your God, you can expect ABC, right? It gives a whole list of all the many wonderful blessings that God will bestow upon his people. But if you choose to go astray, if you choose to be disobedient, if you choose to be disloyal, you could expect this. And he gives, another, he gives another list of all that they could expect. And we see that time after time after time uh, as you look at uh, the, the, the divided kingdom. And so as we get uh, to the divided kingdom, uh, we're going to start to see the prophets. You know, the kids, it says they were learning about the, the major prophets. They were learning about the minor prophets. And where did all of those prophets uh, come from? Where did, where did they, well, they come from God. But what time frame? When, when did they appear on the scene? Well, it was during the divided kingdom. So all of those uh, major prophets, all of those minor prophets are here during this time frame of the northern and southern kingdom. And so as we look at the prophet today, we're going to look at the prophet Joel. And his message, if you really look at the, the theme of his letter, it's the day of the Lord is at hand. And the day of the Lord is at hand, it's a, it's a, it's a phrase, it's a terminology that you see many times throughout the Bible. And it usually references that some form of judgment is going to come upon the people from God. And thus the day of the Lord is at hand. And so Joel, we're going to see how he actually uh, is going to speak some messianic prophecy. We're going to see how Joel uh, is actually spoken of by the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter as we go through uh, just the breakdown of this letter. And we're really truly just going to do like a high level overview of, of, of each of them. We're not going to even do all the prophets, but just some of the prophets we're going to take a look at. And Joel was the first prophet that was sent to the southern kingdom. And who was the southern kingdom? Judah. 
It was sent to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so this is the first prophet. And Joel goes, at a, he goes there at a time when they're dealing with a great locust plague. He goes there at a time when, when, when the locusts have really just been devastating everything. And wave after wave of this destroying pest had swept down upon the land. And then all of a sudden there's a severe drought. If, if the locust plague wasn't enough, then there's a severe drought that they're having to deal with. But in order to really understand that, you know, we could read about a locust plague, but I want to kind of bring it uh, a little bit closer to modern day times. And it's not exactly the 21st century, but we get to the 18 and 1900s, right? And there's actually this little magazine. Have you guys ever heard of the National Geographic? Well, in, 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 uh, I think it's in the December issue of the 1915 uh, magazine, the National Geographic, it speaks of the of the great plague of locusts that was coming upon Jerusalem. In the city of Jerusalem in 1915, there, there occurred a locust plague that was a huge tragedy. And there was a, a description that was written by John D. Whiting. It appeared, as I said, in the National Geographic in 1915. And Mr. Whiting, he describes the plague as beginning late in February of that year, extending over all of Palestine, Syria, from the borders of Egypt to the Taurus Mountains. Similar plagues had been known to take place in Jerusalem in 1845, 1865, and the Arabs that year, they called it the year of the locusts. 1892, 1899, 1904, over and over, locusts had, had plagued that land. And then the following, uh, are, some, the following are some of the uh, uh, phenomena that accompanied the plague in 1915. It says a loud noise was recorded in that article. A loud noise was heard before locusts were seen. It was produced by the flapping of tens of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of wings of the locusts that resembled the sound it said in the article of, of rushing waves or the rumbling of waves. And if you go to Revelation chapter 9 and verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but it also, John speaks about the sound, uh, 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 the mighty sound that would actually come from these locusts. It says that the sun would suddenly be darkened, it talks about in the article. It talks about the showers of their, of their, of their excrement that fell uh, fast and furious from the sky, resembling that of mice. It says the elevation at times was hundreds of feet above, above land, and that at other times that they would swarm down. And then in Jerusalem, Mr. Whiting says that they invariably came from the northeast and they go, uh, and they go towards the southwest. Well, why would, I, why would they even mention that it goes from the northeast to even the southwest? Because that actually lines up with Joel records in Joel chapter 2 and verse 20. So what was recorded in 1915 could actually be, is actually uh, historically accurate to even what Joel described thousands of years prior. And so, brethren, tons were captured. They were buried alive. Many of them were thrown into cisterns or into the Mediterranean Sea. And when they washed up ashore, they were collected and they were dried and they were used to fire the, uh, as fuel for the Turkish baths. The government, it was so bad that the government issued a proclamation in April of 1915. And this proclamation, it required every single man and every single boy from ages 16 to 60 to collect 11 pounds every single day of locust eggs uh, and deliver them to the officials. The storks, which the Arabs called the father of good luck, were, were especially numerous over Palestine in 1915. 
and, and, and greedily devoured the innumerable host of locusts. Hens gorged themselves upon, upon them. And then there's another gentleman who was a witness, Mr. Aronson. Mr. Aronson witnessed in 1915, he testifies that in less than two months, after the first appearance of these locusts, that not only was every green leaf devoured, but the very bark was peeled from the trees which stood, and they stood out looking as, as, as if they were white skeletons in the distance. The fields, he says, were stripped to the ground, and even Arab babies by their mothers that were left under the shade trees had their faces devoured before they were even able to scream aloud. That's how many locusts there were. The natives believed during that time in 1950, it was recorded that they believed it was because of wickedness uh, amongst themselves that God had sent a judgment on them. Brethren, I only say all that to point to the stories in the 18 and 1900s to kind of show a more modern example, to show something of really the devastation uh, that, that we read about, you know, that we don't maybe necessarily always understand as we read the scriptures, but to look at a more modern example. Because in, uh, in Joel chapter 1, he starts to describe the plagues of locusts. He starts to describe the various droughts. And, he, and, and as we think about his letter, the theme of his letter, uh, that the day of the Lord is coming, a day of judgment is coming, it kind of makes me think of this first passage of Scripture. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 5 and 6, I know that the Scriptures tell us in Hebrews... And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and, he, and those that he, uh, he scourges, every son whom he receives. So brethren, remember, God, some would say, well, maybe he was unjust. But was God unjust? Or was he just in punishing his people. Remember I said uh, at, the, at the outset that, that God's people had entered into a contract. They had entered into a covenant relationship with God the Father. And we know that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's the, it's the chapter of blessings and cursings. The blessings that would flow from obedience. The blessings that would flow from righteousness versus the cursings that would flow from disloyalty and disobedience. The Israelites had been warned of what they could expect if they had made the choice to rebel against God. And now they must deal with the consequences of their sins. So you see, brethren, when you look at the message of Joel, and then you look at you know, modern day times, you go throughout all of Old Testament history, and you look at New Testament history over the last couple thousand years, why are oftentimes we punished? We're punished because God is creator God. I was talking with the kids this morning and I asked them, who is God? Do you believe in God? And then they said, yes. I said, well, why do you believe in God? And many of them, they couldn't answer the question and why they believed in God. Because if you can't answer the question why you believe in God, then you can't answer the next question, does God have the authority to determine what's right and wrong? Does God have the authority to be able to, uh, to deal out the blessings and the cursings, right? If God is creator, then God gets to dictate what's right and wrong. He gets to dictate uh, to his creation what his ex expectations are. And so the Israelites, they knew what the expectation was. They knew the consequences, and they did it anyways. And so was God unjust for sending a plague to bring about repentance upon the people? No, he wasn't unjust. Because he told them in Deuteronomy 28 that he was going to do it. 
And so God was just faithful in what he said. And so, brethren, we look at these chapter, we look at that chapter, and we think about blessings and cursings. You know, we think about Christianity. And how can I, what, what are some messages that I can look at from Joel and then pull forward and fast forward to the Christian era? Well, brethren, we know that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7. Doesn't Jesus say that there's going to be many who come to me in that day and they're going, and they're going to say, but Lord, didn't we uh, cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful miracles in your name? And then Jesus says, I'm going to say to them, I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Well, who was Jesus talking about in Matthew chapter 7? He was talking to Christians. What did the Christians do? Oh, that's right. Kind of like the Israelites. They entered into a covenant relationship with God. They entered into a, a they free, of their own free will as bondservants entered into a relationship with God that they would do all that God required of them. And so, brethren, if we don't do all that God requires of us, just like the Israelites of old, we can expect punishment from a holy and righteous God. Amen. So, brethren, Joel relayed this message. He relays this message to the people, starting in Joel chapter 1, that God's judgment was upon them because of their godly rebellion, because of their wickedness, because of the idolatry that was, that was rampant throughout Judah at that time in the southern kingdom. And that the current plague of locusts, the droughts, were brought upon them because they refused to repent. Because they refused to do the right thing. So you see, brethren, the men of Judah were desperate in their sufferings. They were not only desperate in their sufferings, but now they're all of a sudden, because of their sufferings, they're all of a sudden ready to listen. Well, maybe the Lord will send the prophets and we'll listen to him. It goes back to the time of Judges. What happened in the time of Judges? Well, when there was a judge, the people were faithful. They adhered to the law of God. Then the judge dies, goes, goes the way of life, like many of us are going to, right? And he dies, and all of a sudden, well, he's gone, as if God himself was gone. And what happens? They go back into godless rebellion. They go back into idolatry. And then God sends a people to overtake them. Why? To punish them. And then over a period of 20, 30, 40 years, it was different for di at different times. They would eventually cry out, and then God would do what? He would hear the cries of his people. Why? Because they were repenting. You see, brethren, repentance is not something new. Repentance is something that has always had to take place when we sin against a holy and righteous God. There's many parallels that you could take from the letter of Joel and what he was writing to the people of Judah of the southern kingdom during that divided kingdom. There's many parallels that you could take and draw to Christianity today. To Christianity today. And so, brethren, I also want to point out that if you look on the screen behind me, that Joel also, he, he presents three views of the Christ, three views of the Messiah. Now, the word Messiah isn't used here, but when you look at Joel chapter 2, you look at Joel chapter 3, uh, you're going to see that the first view is that the Messiah would be the one who sent the Spirit. Well, how do we know that if it doesn't actually use the word Messiah or the Christ? Well, we know that because when you study out the Old Testament and you study out the New Testament and you understand the writings of the apostles and you see that the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 2 quotes from Joel chapter 2 and he actually says it's been made crystal clear that Joel was speaking of what happened on the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost when they were speaking in new tongues that God had sent his spirit upon the people. And that's what Joel chapter 2, verse 28 is talking about. When God is going to pour out his spirit on all people. 
And we know that he's still doing it today. For anybody who makes Jesus the Lord of their lives, you go down into the waters of the baptistry, you're raised up in newness of life, you're what happens. You get the forgiveness of your sins, but you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because God is pouring his spirit out on all mankind. It's still happening today. For anybody who will call on the name of the Lord, well, shall be saved. And so, brethren, you're saved. Why? Because God has poured out his spirit on all who will accept Jesus. And so it's understanding the messianic prophecies, understanding how we can recognize the messianic prophecies. And Peter makes us, uh, Peter allows us to know without a shadow of a doubt, he says that the things that were happening on the day of Pentecost are representative of what Joel spoke of in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. The second view that we can look at uh, that points towards the Christ, that points towards the Messiah, is that the Messiah, that God would judge all nations. And you look at uh, Joel chapter 3 and verse 2, and you can see a very clear uh, understanding of that. It talks about the valley of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat just simply means that God will judge. And so it's the valley of judgments. And we know that as the people come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, they come to Mount Zion, that it's talking about a future judgment that is going to come. There's being judged now because of their sin, but it's talking about a future judgment. And again, when you start to understand how, to, how they come about to understand Messianic prophecy, it's a, looking at, it's a studying out of the Old Testament, a studying of the New Testament, and then realizing that the apostles were speaking about these things, and they quote from the Old Testament. And the third view that we could see is that God will always be a shelter and a stronghold for his people who remain faithful. I forgot to put that passage on the screen, but it's around Joel chapter 3, around verse 16, 16 to 18, if you will. But God will always be a stronghold. He'll always be a shelter for his children who remain faithful. We also know that when we study out the book of Joel, it's kind of like the book of Zephaniah. It's about, uh, it's, it's, it's about the coming judgments. You can relate it to the book of Revelation because Joel predicts a harvest of the earth. When you look at Joel chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, he predicts a harvest. You look at Revelation chapter 14, it's the same thing. And in Judah, we understand that because of the southern kingdom's wickedness, that the, that the, man, that the men of Judah, the women of Judah, because of their wickedness, it was so great that it was almost as if it was like a crop that needed to be harvested. And that's what Joel chapter 3 is talking about. That your sin has become so, uh, so great in the eyes of the Lord. It has become so great in quantity that it now must be harvested. And the harvest becomes a symbol of judgment for sin. You guys remember in Matthew chapter 13 where it talks about the parable of the tares, don't you? You guys remember in uh, Revelation chapter 14 it talks about the reapers? And what was it about the parable of the tares? What was it about the reapers? That the harvest was so plentiful that God said, pray that the Lord will send out what? That he'll send out workers into the fields because the harvest was so great. You see, brethren, the harvest becomes a symbol of judgment as you study out the scriptures. Also in the New Testament, the New Testament, as I said, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, they directly quote... From, uh, from Joel. I mentioned the Apostle Peter quoted from Joel in Acts chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul, he quotes from Joel chapter 2 as well in reference to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. He quotes from them to explain how men would be saved through the preaching of the gospel message. So you see, brethren, 
Clear references of Joel's writings can be seen even in the book of Revelation from the Apostle John. In the book of Joel and the book of Revelation, they both mention the moon will be turned to blood. Do you know what that's talking about, that the moon will be turned to blood? In, in that article in 1915 that was in the National Geographic, it said when you looked up into the sky that the, and you looked up to the sun and you're looking through the tens of thousands upon thousands of locusts, as you're seeing through their, their, their wings, it's as if the moon or the sun becomes red. And so the blood moon, or the blood sun, uh, or the blood moon, I'm sorry, it's that, it's that when you look through the wings, it appears as if the moon itself uh, turns blood red. Judgment was spoken of in the book of Joel as well as Revelation, and that judgment would be as a harvest. The treading of the winepress was used as a symbol of judgment, both in Joel as well as in Revelation, and both mention the locust plagues. So you see, brethren... You look at all of this information and you ask yourself, what other lessons can we learn here as Christians in the 21st century? Well, one of the great lessons and the first and foremost lesson that we have to take from the book of Joel is that there is no escaping the judgment of God. There is not a person on this planet who will be able to escape the judgment of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. It speaks that all of us will stand before God and give an account of our lives, whether good or bad. And, and then we will be judged. And then we will be sent to the Hadean realm where the place for the place of departed spirits will go, waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And there's a place called paradise in, in the Hadean realm, and there's another place called uh, torments. You guys remember Luke chapter 16 when, uh, when uh, Lazarus and the rich man both died? Lazarus was in the paradise in, in the bosom of Abraham and the, and the rich man was in torments. And he's saying, please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may even drip some water on my tongue for I am in torments here. And he said to him, he says, even if I wanted to. We cannot go to you and you cannot come to us because there is a separation because judgment had already come for those who had died and now they're just waiting the second coming of Christ. And so brethren, first and the foremost, the thing that we could take here in the, in the 21st century Christian church is that God's judgment is inescapable. And when you see that God is delaying to come, well, it's been 2,000 years, he hasn't come yet. Well, in the northern kingdom, it was 200 years that God allowed them to go into godless rebellion before he finally said enough is enough. And in 722 B.C., he sent the Assyrians to do what? To take them captive. And they essentially then, those ten northern tribes, kind of went the way of history. And they never really appeared as a nation again. And so, brethren, we know that God's, it's not, God's delay isn't inability on his part, but we should see it as what? Mercy. We should see it as patience. You guys remember 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, don't you? It says, but do not let these, this one effect escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Well, what is Peter telling us there? He's telling us that God's delay should be seen as an opportunity. To do what? To get our collective acts together. To get our life uh, in order. To make sure that we're prepared for our, uh, our, our day of judgment. So you see, brethren, God gave Israel, as I said, of the northern kingdom, 200 years to get their collective acts together. He, God gave them ample opportunities to repent of the sin of idolatry and, the other, and many of the other forms of wickedness. 
but they chose not to turn away from it. Every single king of the northern kingdom was wicked. Many of the kings of the southern kingdoms were, uh, were wicked, but there were, some, there were some good kings. That was the only reason why they uh, went on for another 100 and probably about 36 years before they were taken captive by Babylon uh, in about 586 B.C. So you see, brethren, when God decided to act against Israel and Judah in A.D. 70, his judgment was complete. After 1,500 years of, dis, of disloyalty, after 1,500 years of godless rebellion, God had said enough is enough. And many, much of what Joel spoke of in, uh, in, the, in the day of the Lord is coming, the day of the Lord is near, he was speaking of the day of the judgment that was going to come upon Israel uh, in AD 70. But we also know that he was talking about a further judgment that was to come with the second coming of Christ. So you see, brethren, as we look at this information here today, there, you think about Judah, you think about Israel, you think about the northern and southern kingdom. There is no future special blessing for the people of Israel. There's no more future special blessing because they had forfeited that right when they chose to continue to rebel against God. And so you see, brethren, the only blessings that, they are, that are available to them and the only blessings that are available to us reside in Christ Jesus. Amen. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And God will pour out his spirit on all who call on the name of the Lord. And so it's answering the call of the gospel is the message that provides deliverance. God was calling for the people of Judah through the prophet Joel to repent, just like it says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31. It says there that therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all people everywhere that they should repent. Does that leave anybody out? All people everywhere. God has said the times of ignorance are over because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. So you see, brethren, Joel also appeals to all men to do what? To can be converted to God, to receive the forgiveness of their sins, to receive the blessings of the gospel that began on the day of Pentecost. So as I close this lesson down, brethren, remember that many Bible historians, they call Joel the prophet of Pentecost. They call him that because he was, uh, he was called that because it was foretold by Joel the events that took place on Pentecost in 33 AD. Peter made that crystal clear in Acts chapter 2 that the events that were happening were the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And although Joel's prophecy was fulfilled over a period of years, the conclusion of that prophecy takes place in AD 70. You see, brethren, that, that was the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord refers to when God, when a judgment of God comes upon his people. And that was a final judgment that came upon Israel. And that way, they would never again be God's chosen people. So you see, brethren, a saying that was used multiple times in the Old Testament always reveals and always refers to a time of judgment. And that's the day of the Lord. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, as I close this down, just like, the Jew, just like the Jews of Joel's day, we need to repent. We need to repent of any and all sin in our lives because Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night. And so we have to repent. We have to be ready before it's everlasting too late. If you remain, if you remain faithful and true unto a holy and righteous God, it, the Bible tells us that God will restore us. 
He will comfort us, and God will give us passage into his pasture when our life comes to an end. Why? Because God will always be a shelter and a stronghold to all those who remain faithful unto him. So you see, brethren, why study the Old Testament? Why look at the, uh, the prophets, whether it be the major or the minor prophets that came during the divided kingdom? Because it's where we see much of the messianic prophecies. It's where we understand and see how God preserved Judah in the southern kingdom so that way Jesus, the, the lion of Judah, would still be able to come through. We, he preserved the southern kingdom of Judah so the seed line could take effect. So Jesus could come, the Christ, the Messiah, who came through the southern kingdom of Judah. It came through the, uh, the, the tribe of Judah. We study out the Old Testament, uh, brethren, because it, 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 it's a foreshadowing of what was to come as we think of the Christ and the Messiah. And so there's many important reasons for our understanding and studying this information. And you could draw many parallels to modern-day Christianity and what we need to do to what God was calling his people Israel at the time to do, and that's to repent. Repent and to turn away from wickedness. We live in a society that's ever-creasingly wicked by each and every passing day. But that's okay. Because we just need to understand that God is faithful and true to all those who remain faithful and loyal to him. You don't have to worry about uh, the judgment uh, time. You don't have to worry about standing before God in judgment if you're willing to live according to God's, thus saith the Lord. If you're willing to live according to the commands of God. Jesus says, I do, I do and, I, and I say exactly as the Father has commanded me, because I know his words contain eternal life. Brethren, if you're, if you're interested here today in making Jesus the Lord of your life, if you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins, if you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on all mankind who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as Joel spoke of, you could do that today as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>